Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning to the folks online. My name is Brian Betts. I'm one of the pastors here. I guess maybe I could say aloha <laughs> for this morning. I've already had, I put this on about 10 minutes before I started, and I've already had like nine people go, what on earth is that shirt? <laughs> uh, don't worry, give it like 30 seconds and it's going to pay off. When I was a kid, uh, my parents from like between the ages of like four, seven, eight, it's kind of a blur those early years. Uh, my parents every 4th of July would take our family down to the Huntington Beach 4th of July parade, which is a big deal in Huntington Beach. And I remember three things about it. The first is it was super boring. <laughs> I didn't sit still well then, and even at 46, I don't sit still well now. So it was really like I wanted to find other things to do. But the other two things I remember were the things that actually made it enjoyable. One was, if you guys have ever, probably the younger crowd, not so much, but if you've ever been to a parade where the Shriners are, they have their Fez hats and they got into these tiny cars, full-grown men in these tiny cars with these little beep-beep horns, and boy, five-year-old me thought that was the greatest thing in the history of mankind. I wanted one of those immediately, and I wanted to have that continue with me through my entire adulthood, drive around in a tiny car in parades. The other thing was, the reason my family was there, I got to see my grandpa march in the parade. And as a four to seven-year-old, it made zero sense about why this was happening, but it was so cool to see grandpa and he'd make sure he looked right at us and waved. He was always on the far side. Never understood why my parents picked to sit where we did because he was always all the way across on the other side of the street. And I had no idea why, but one day, a couple years later, I understood. He was a Pearl Harbor survivor. Ah, oh man. I'll See, you guys, ah, oh, and that sets me off. And I don't have Mike Boblet to blame. He's not here right now. <laughs> Hi, Mike, if you're watching online. Uh, I got to grow up around my grandfather and his buddies. And they were different. Their shared experience being in that battle where 2,400 American soldiers lost their lives at Pearl Harbor that day. They understood the value of life. They understood the value of taking care of each other, their families, their wives. And when these guys walked into a room, it wasn't just that they all wore shirts like this, because we got people wearing shirts like this all the time around here. Maybe not this one. This one's a little bit, this is probably 50 years old. When they walked in a room together, you knew they were different. They carried themselves in a way that people snapped to whenever they walked in. When my grandfather died, they carried his casket. When my grandmother came, when my grandmother died 10 years later, the few of them that were left in the Orange County, Long Beach chapter of the Pearl Harbor survivors, they came to pay their respects. And man, when those guys walked in the building, this is what Paul wants us to think about today. We're supposed to be that. When we walk into the room as a collective group, when people come into our room and our churches, they feel something different. They feel a depth and a value and an experience to what we share, understanding the value of life. And so Paul's hope today is to get us, if I could summarize the text for today, it's Paul wants us to be collectively moved by God's plan for the blending of the church and the radical unity that the gospel produces. When we started Ephesians, if 
from the very first verse through verse 210, chapter 2, verse 10, Paul talked about the change in our lives as individuals. What God was doing, the work in us individually, moving our hearts, helping us understand where we were with him and how desperately we needed him. And then verse 2, chapter 2, verse 11, he started talking about people groups, what the Jews understood, what the Gentiles now understand. And he's still in that emphasis. He wants us to think about us as a people group, what we look like collectively when we're together, what we represent collectively when we're together. So let's take a look at the text for this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, we're starting chapter 3 off, we're flying through this book, 3, 1 to 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Oh man, I'm losing my eyesight, I was going to read off of that one, I can't read that. I'm going to go here. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men of other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Lord, be with us this morning as we unpack this, as we think about what Paul is taking us to to start chapter three. Help us to see this idea of collectiveness that is so dear to Paul and so key to your plan. Help us to appreciate our role in this. Help us to open our hearts and to be collectively moved by the thought of you and your plan and where we fit in. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's a couple of things that Paul is trying to get as he starts chapter 3 and he's continuing to work through this book. The first and biggest thing is Paul's trying to share his story. He's trying to share he got this mystery, this mystery of Christ and how it radically changed his life and the church. Now, the way he wrote it, the way to, to kind of walk through logically, chronologically, he actually kind of goes backwards. So he writes one, two, three verses for it, but actually understanding it, three, two, one, is, is how you would unpack it if you looked at his life on a calendar. So we're going to do it that way. So how did Paul actually get the mystery? From Jesus himself. Paul got the shortcut. Paul got to hear directly from the guy. What a gift, what an opportunity to hear it and make sure that we would ultimately get it from him. And so he reads through, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. He's referencing Acts chapter 9 when he's on the road to Damascus and he's on a horse, and boy, does that not go how, that trip does not go how Paul thought that it was going to go. This is a guy who is a staunch Jew, a guy who is a protector of Judaism, a guy who knows everything about being Jewish. And God grabs him and tells him, Paul, I got a shift in your life. I got something else I want you to know. I got something else I want you to be focused on. 
And Paul takes this message and he receives it with absolute joy. You can see it all over all of his books, all over his writings, from his intros to his outros to Philippians, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This man is all about Jesus and he takes his commissioning very seriously, but with so much joy, he changes the church. With the exception of Jesus, I don't think there's a guy who has a bigger influence on the church than Paul has through his writings. And he takes absolute joy in this moment. And he captures it in verse 2. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. This wasn't Paul's plan. And he knows that it's not his plan, nor will it ever be. He understands the context of his entire existence is through the lens of God and God's plan. And so he takes this and he stewards it. It's such a great word. He stewards. He's holding so dear and carefully managing what God has given him. And he's doing it for a people group that isn't his people group. A people group that he wasn't necessarily a big fan of. Now, Todd's going to unpack that a little bit more next week as, as Paul gets into that in more depth in the, in the next passage. But what we see in Paul is it creates this openness to having God move in his life. He gets in tune with the spirit and it changes him. He's open for being different for the gospel. He doesn't have it all figured out. He's listening to the spirit. He's moving as he needs to move according to God's will. And he does it to the point of no matter the cost, no matter what happens to Paul, he's all in. And he captures that in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, the context of the whole book, that the story behind him writing, is that Paul is sitting in a jail in Rome. In Jerusalem, his trying to fold in the Gentiles has upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they have had him jailed. And he's ultimately, his sentence has been commuted over to Rome. And he's sitting there, and I love how smart of a writer he is. You want to talk about Paul being brilliant, but God's hand in this? I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Everybody else who doesn't get this sees that Paul is in jail under Nero. Nero is not a fan of Christians. But what does Paul say? Guys, make no mistake, I'm not in jail because of Nero. I'm not in jail because of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. I am here because that is God's plan for my life. I am a prisoner because I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he so desperately wants us, the Gentiles, to get this. And Todd has talked about this. And Heather talked about this last week. There's a lot of Gentiles out there. Fathom the number of Gentiles. Everybody who isn't Jewish is Gentile. Jesus' death and opening the gospel up to the Gentiles has made a significant change to who has access to the gospel, to who has access to being God's people. And so Paul so desperately wants us to get this because what his hope and understanding of God's plan is that when we get this mystery, it produces a radical unity among us. You could see at the beginning of Acts, 
all throughout Acts as the new church is being built, this difference that these people have. And so how do we get it? How do we actually learn about this mystery? We get it from Paul. Paul got it from Jesus, and we get it from Paul. Direct handoff. And if you're around RCC, this next verse is going to sound super familiar about the things that matter to us. How you have picked it up from three, how, you, uh, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul personally experiencing who Jesus is, sits down and captures this in writing because he knows it matters and he shares it with these churches he's invested in. This one is going to the church of Ephesus. I've written briefly so that when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. I wrote it so that you can read it. Guys at RCC, somebody yell it out. What do we call that? I love this. First, Anders, thank you, the one guy on staff. <laughs> there is nothing more important to us, aside from the ideas that we get from reading the Bible, than reading the Bible for ourselves. We've coined it being a first-hander here. It changed my life. I grew up Catholic. I never once had a Bible open in front of me. I went to Catholic school for 10 years, kindergarten through 10th grade. I guess that would be 11 years. I learned a lot there, I, and I was actually good at math. <laughs> Still clearly good at math. When I got here 16 years ago, I was encouraged to read the Bible, to ask questions, to think about it. And I learned that this God that I had created in my head from stories from other people was not the actual God of the Bible. And differently than a lot of people in today's world, I deconstructed, but I deconstructed toward God. I broke down my false God, and I rebuilt the God of the Bible in my life. And that's what Paul wants for us. Now, if you're not sure about how all this stuff works, I should have clicked to that when I said first-handers, so we're going to skip that slide. Boy, I am just covering Todd's mistakes right now. I feel very in tune with him. This is how first-hander, this is what we believe and why this matters. So God, through his spirit, he has inspired the authors of the Bible. And he has inspired their writings in the original transcripts themselves. The original writings in the native language that they have written is inspired by God. And then when we get a chance to read the Bible, the spirit continues to work in our lives. You may not know if you're new to this and you're reading the Bible for the first time, you may not know that the Spirit's involved. Once you accept Jesus, the Spirit is very much involved and you are aware of him illuminating passages and helping you understand the depth and the heart and the passion behind God's plan and God's love for us. Now, like I mentioned, so many people trust their faith to this second degree removed experience of God. We trust someone else for the most important thing in our ex existence. 
whether or not God exists and who God is, we trust someone else to explain that to us and to get it right. That's why when we're up here preaching, by the way, there's a lot of weight. It is a delight and it is a pleasure and it is a joy to be up here. But our hope is that you would always move to this position. No matter what we're preaching, no matter what we're saying, that you have an assessment of what we're doing because you are reading the Bible for yourself and you are asking questions and you are digesting who the God of the Bible is and you are wrestling with stuff, whether it makes sense right away or not. And that's why we believe it's so important not just to be a first-hander, but to be a first-hander in community. That's why life groups matter to us so much. If you're curious about being in a life group, if you're not part of one, this is a big thing of that we do in our life groups. We wrestle with the text together. We eat together. We have dessert together. We have fun together. But at the core of all of this is helping each other see the God of the Bible accurately, see the author's intention for what they're trying to point to accurately. And it is pointed to directly in Paul's statement here. I've written this briefly so that when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So what is that mystery? We're in. We're in. My voice cracked. We're in. Come on, people, seriously. We were not in. He is spending all of chapter 2 trying to get us to understand we were on the outside as Gentiles, and we are now in, and there is nothing better, nothing better. Come on, nothing better. I was told I'd get 20 bucks if I danced like Todd when I said that. I'm going to encourage that person to put it in the forgot box. We were not in. We were outsiders. We've gotten so used to this being 2,000 years later and the benefit of this that sometimes we get desensitized to it. And this is where Paul is trying to take us. He's trying to explain, he says, this mystery that is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. He wants us to understand. Back then for that original reader, he wanted to make sure they knew there were no caveats for the Gentiles. And we're so used to this. We're so used to being part of God's people, especially in America, where it is, we've had the benefit of having Christianity be the dominant religion. That we get a little comfortable with this. And so this, for us now, 2,000 years later, it serves as a beautiful, detailed reminder of what it means to be part of the family of God. If I could put it in my own words, it's this, that God's plan that all, that people of all races, nations, cultures, resources, education, giftedness, political views, shapes, sizes, family backgrounds. You came from a broken family, you came from a healthy family. Doesn't matter. Everyone would get together 
as this church and would share in their love for Jesus, their love of others, and the blessings of the gospel. And that we would realize that this is our calling. That when we together share in the gospel, we look absolutely radical to the world. That we would look different. And why this matters for us today, I'm concerned we don't look that different to the world. When churches split, when there's infighting, when you come on a Sunday and your church experience is maybe somebody complaining is all you hear about what's wrong or broken with church. When churches are spending more time positioning themselves for the next election than pointing people to Jesus. When we lose sight of who we are, our behaviors change and we just look like everybody else out there, whether they know Jesus or not. Paul is giving us an opportunity here in these verses to take a step back and take an assessment of what it looks like to be a member of this church, both on the individual level, but on the collective level. When we all believe this, we all buy into this together. We look different. We change the world. So this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at those and just talk about a little bit about what they mean and how they impact our lives. These three things, they give us hope and joy for the future. Above all else, they give us hope and joy for the future, primarily through this idea of being fellow heirs. Now, when you're an heir, it means you're part of a family. You're adopted, you're brought in, you matter. And when it comes time to enjoy the benefits of the long-term experience, the experience inside that family, we have a collective experience in that. And there's two things to this that stood out to me, that we lived loved and secure, knowing that we are members of the best family that can possibly exist, the family of God. Most fighting, most relational problems, most issues, they're rooted in insecurities. They're rooted in concern that I won't get what's mine, that I'll miss out on something, that someone's hurting me. They create those voices in our head that are changing the reality of what's happening. But when we point our focus to Jesus and we understand that we are members of the family of God because of what he did, It's God's desire that those insecurities would melt away because our biggest, most important security, our belonging, our value, our future are anchored in this love and security. And when you talk about inheritance, there are so many stories of families going sideways when 
the matriarch or patriarch of the family dies because that pool of resources that the family left behind, house, cars, money, if there's anything, it's finite. And we want what's ours, right? The world tells us, get yours. Get what you need to have because it's yours and you deserve it. Here's what we understand when we get the gospel and we get Jesus. These resources, these offerings, this inheritance is not finite. It is unlimited love, unlimited salvation. All of us get to partake in it. And the next person into the church gets to partake of it. And the next person and the next people group, everyone gets to partake in this. And no one gets slighted at all. And so we want to give this away because we have it and we want everybody else to get the same thing. Imagine if you had a winning lottery ticket and you were told everybody else could get the same winning lottery ticket. You just have to give it to them. There's so much fulfillment in this idea of being fellow heirs to our security and to our hope. And collectively, when we enjoy that together, it makes us stand out. But Paul doesn't want to just stop on having his future focus because it's just as important to look different to the world that we have hope and joy now. That we enjoy God now no matter what's happening around us. And don't hear me saying there is not pain and there is not hurt. If you are here today and something in your life is just a challenge that makes you just that pit of your stomach hurt, it's okay. This broken world is tough. It is painful. Things don't go our way. But it's through Jesus that we don't sink into despair, that we grieve, that we hurt, but we're able to see beyond it so that we can have hope and joy in the now and look different. And the first idea that does this is that we believe that we are members of the same body. Now, Paul just simply says right now, members of the same body is where we've gotten to for Ephesians. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians to hear him unpack it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. Another one of those, but God's. But God has composed the body. God has decided how this is made up. All these distinct differences between us compared to how the world sees us. Giving greater honor to the part that lacked us, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We become unified and we work together. And what that does, that puts this view into our lives that everyone who walks through these doors or the doors of any church is treated as though they belong, that they have value regardless of their status, their giftedness, the culture they came from. Everywhere else we go in this world, money gets you better access. Networking gets you better access. 
your background, your history, your culture gets you better access. Talk to anybody of any culture, and there's another culture that they go, this, this culture doesn't have our culture's best intentions in mind. This broken world has created conflict on so many levels, and when we are able to break that, we look different in the world. So there's no better seating if you give more here. There's no better parking. There's no better access. You don't get more time with any of the staff members. It's one of our values. Everyone here gets the same opportunity. We have our member class December 10th and 17th that Keith will lead. And a lot of people want to know, what does it mean to be a member? What do you get? Well, apparently, again, I joined this world late. A lot of churches, membership actually gets you exclusive access to things. And one of our values here at RCC, you get to vote at the annual meeting. That's it. And a lot of people said, then I don't want to be a member. Because everyone should have access the same way to God's community. I absolutely love this value that we hold. Could you imagine what Russia and Ukraine could look like right now? If this movement of Christians that exist in both of those places were able to supersede what was happening. And again, I know it sounds a little bit Pollyanna, but just imagine, I was reading up on it yesterday, and the Russian Orthodox Church is accused of, be, of using their, their locations throughout the world to spy on behalf of Russia. So the church has now been blocked inside Ukraine for fear that the Russian Orthodox churches, which have pretty good roots in Russia or in Ukraine, that there's actually harm being there, that the church is actually being seen as the enemy. Because of the disconnect that exists here. The other piece to this, guys, it's not just that we figure out how to coexist. We actually build each other up. We care about each other. We as a collective care about everyone's best interests, and their best interests is Jesus. There is no second best that's even close. Their best interest is Jesus. We support in any way we can. We have benevolence. We find ways to come around people when they're hurting. But it's Jesus overwhelmingly for our connection. And we work in everyone's lives here. Our goal and our hope is that all of you as this collective community would be focused on the same thing. Imagine everyone that comes in contact with us inside this building and outside this building feels that. And that the draw of our interactions away from this building pull them into here to want to be part of this experience on Sundays. This is where we come together and we rally because Monday through Saturday can be tough. And we rally together to focus on God together on Sunday and to enjoy him and to build each other up in community. Because there's lots of people when they leave here on Sunday, they don't run into many Christians. And so this is here to support and to continue to build so that we can continue to be strong as a community. And the last one, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. 
Paul primarily here means the idea of being sealed by the Spirit. When you accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and changes our life forever. God himself is sitting inside of us. And so those little tugs and those little pings about, should I go talk to that person? What am I experiencing here? Is this good? Is this bad? We get in tune with that. And it impacts all of us. And in addition to that, it reminds us that we are always attached to the plan of God through Jesus. He was saying this in, in, the, ver in the verses that Heather had last week, trying to get us to remember and see what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Together, we are the new dwelling place of God. No more temple as a collective access point. In him, you are also being built together, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so we keep this in mind and we walk humbly. Knowing where we were, we know that we were on the outside. When the staff was talking about this, talking about this idea a few weeks ago, Johnny lobbed out. That means that parents a generation earlier were on the outside, the original readers of this letter. We have such a benefit being on this side, so generations upon generations upon generations. I found out doing some family history with my daughter, uh, I'm attached to a major church planter back in the 1600s, um, all up and down New Jersey, New York area. I actually got like written up in things about the impact that my um, Benjamin Abbott was his name. And then a huge gap in the middle where we stopped, where the Betts family stopped believing for a while. We never forget where we were. Because then when we interact, when we're, when we're welcoming in other people here who are searching, who are wondering who Jesus is, we remember what it was like to be in that spot. And so we're patient and we ask questions and we take our time with them. Because we always remember where we were. But we also never forget who we are. What are we, guys? Are we in or are we out? Yeah. We're in. Much better this time. Thank you. <laughs> We're in. We never forget that. And so we, like Paul, live joyfully, entrusted to be part of God's plan, that we together collectively are a beacon. Todd's going to spend most of next week in this idea as Paul develops it. He has spoiled us. He has given us an opportunity individually and collectively to be his light in the world. And so we always lean into this. We lean into this when we're together. 
we lean in, we call each other when we need a pick-me-up because we know the sense of community that matters, being together and how it matters. And we never forget this. And we open ourselves to that spirit and we let it lead together, collectively. If you haven't heard, RCC is going to have some transition next summer. No one knows what that's going to look like yet. Not a single person, not even Todd. But together, together, open to the spirit, together as a community of God. We're going to open our hearts and we're going to go through this together, pointing to him that people who would come to our community and know that we're in the middle of a wonderful senior pastor closing out his time here. But we are excited for what's next in God's plan and we're doing it together. Most of the time it doesn't look like that at churches. It's way more disruptive and it normally doesn't end well. We get a chance for everybody who walks through these doors to see that we get this that we're a little different, that each of us individually and together are members of God's church. So just two quick things. Nothing, nothing uh, in writing for today for, for what you're going to do this week for takeaways. Be a first-hander. Read 2.11 through 3.13 about what it looks like for us to be together. God's plan for us. And ready, introverts? <laughs> we are one body. I want everybody here to introduce yourself to somebody you don't know that happens to be in the same body that you're in. No sprinting out of here today. Meet somebody because you don't know they might be able to encourage your walk. They might have questions that God is placing you in their lives to answer. So before you leave, whether it's on the patio, whether it's here in person, find a face you don't know and introduce yourself. Find out something about them. Hey, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of turning our lives over to you for the expression of baptism and the expression of this body. RCC, your big C church, we are so spoiled by you to be a part of this. Help us never to forget where we were, where we are, and what bonds us together.